Hello everyone, I'm Nate Truex and you're listening to the Crockcast Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host Nate and today I'm joined by JD of Slithering Oddities. JD, welcome to the show. Hi, how you doing? So uh, you want to tell us a little bit about how you first got into reptiles and kind of your what led you up to this point? Oh, man. I think it probably started when I was a little kid. Like, I think one of my first pets was an anole. And then uh, probably like from like a carnival or somewhere. And then uh, when I got into like my early teens, like middle school years, around 13, 14, uh, I started getting a couple lizards. I think I had like a fence lizard and an iguana. Um, and then I got into snakes. My first one was a ball python. Then I had a boa. And then from there, I just kind of started reading up and studying more about snakes. And now I'm into all kinds of snakes. So <laughs> um, it's just been a really fun journey. They're fun animals to work with. Uh, so what all do you keep at the moment? Oh, at the, at the moment, I keep over 20 species of snakes. Um, we have a few colubrids. We have bull snakes, Mexican black kings, theri, honder, and milks. Um, that's mostly what my partner Kit focuses on. Um, also she's picking up rosy boas, which I've been doing for several years. Um, she's going to take that project over, but I mostly focus on the Australian and rare pythons. I work with, uh, you know, the normal bread the striped bread all of pythons, um, everything in the Antaracea genus, except for pygmies currently. So I have spotteds of different kinds, um, children's, uh, Stimson's uh let's see maclots pythons blood pythons um looking for a savu python i'd love to start breeding some of those i have a, I have a lone one floating around i've got an emerald floating around in my collection and let me think what else here i know i'm missing something somewhere along the way womas uh definitely womas uh and jungle carpets as well actually yep i think that about sums it up <laughs> So uh, what kind of got you into focusing on um, Australian pythons so much? Um, I don't know. I just always really liked the activity of, you know, some of the other pythons outside of the genus python. A lot of the, a lot of the pythons in the genus python are, you know, kind of sit and wait, slow-moving, big-bodied animals, you know, um, with the exception, you know, like retex being in there. But, uh, um, but overall i just you know i like the activity of them more i like the looks of them um you know i was one of those guys when the hobby started going heavily into ball pythons and i had a few ball pythons when that started happening you know i got into them as a way to you know supplement some income and things like that but i found myself uh after a few years of breeding ball pythons i found a i felt they were a little bit too easy for somebody that had been keeping animals as long as me um and I wanted to challenge myself a little bit more um, and be, you know, they don't do a whole lot. So I was kind of getting bored with them. So I started going back and I was noticing, you know, we, you know, you go to shows, you know how it is. Like you go to a show and you don't see Australian pythons. You don't see Indonesian pythons. You know, it's just, it's just not something that and if you do, it's one or two. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's usually pretty rare. And I was just getting. You know, when I started in the 90s and stuff like doing this uh, where I wanted to, you know, become a breeder, that was like the goal for everybody that bred pythons. They, everybody wanted to breed the hard stuff, you know, because that proved, you know, that you were 
your husbandry was right. You know what I mean? You were doing things right and you were having success. And, and you're also, you know, promoting these rare species into captivity, you know, where there's, where we're getting a little less and less, you know, nowadays, um, which I think is great. You know, there's a lot of great animals out there that don't get represented fully in this hobby that really should, that make just as amazing pets as a boa or a ball python or, or probably way better pets than a retic, you know what I mean? For most people, not everybody, but most people, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, there's a lot of unrepresented stuff out there. Um, and I think a lot of it's super cool. And then on top of that, when you're breeding the ball python morphs, there's always some kind of new morph coming out that you're chasing down or trying to chase down, you know. And on top of that, the adults just, they don't, they're not as striking as the babies normally once you raise them, you know. So, whereas you grow a jungle carpet, it's going to be way more striking as an adult as it was as a baby. Um, so, so that was part of it too, you know, adult coloration, activity, you know, more more um fulfilling mentally yeah that's what first uh drew me to your table is like i saw it's like oh here's the table that isn't completely run over by ball pythons or crested geckos <laughs> yeah like oh yeah. i love man of culture for a second too and that was a pain in the butt <laughs> yeah I especially like uh your uh striped uh brettles those are really cool looking snakes yeah i enjoy them a lot I wish more people enjoyed them as much as I did, um, but but they're great animals. Um, the brettles, especially, I find are like one of the most underrated pet pythons out there. They just turn into such like truffing adults, and it's just amazing to just handle a you know a seven eight foot animal that's just as truffing as an adult brettle. I usually is. Yeah, I need to get back at brettles someday, <laughs> hopefully soon. Yeah, uh, so. Having one right now, possible hypo stripe. She's been doing a lot of heat seeking. She's in a cycle and she's looking pretty swollen. It's a little late. Usually I have them by the end of June, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so, what are some other things that uh, drew you to Brettles? Oh, Brettles? I don't know, man. A lot of it is books. Like I, I used to see them in books a lot, you know, like the Barker's books or, you know, Pythons in the World by like Walls and things like that. And then, you know, I've been around the Columbus area most of my life. So like Don Hamper used to have some on his table from time to time. And actually that's where I got my original Paris stripes was from Don and Shay Hamper. Um, and uh, I just, I really thought they were cool animals. And, you know, I talked to one of the people that worked for him at time and he was really into them, you know, and, and I, I just, I don't know. I thought they were pretty cool. I even had, I was even breeding my stripes when I was breeding the ball pythons. So I've definitely always had those around and that's always been something I've been into. So um, I just, I think they're an awesome pet, man, for a lot of people. You don't have to do a whole lot except just wait either and they'll become an awesome pet for you. <laughs> so speaking on the opposite, complete opposite end of the spectrum of being nice to handle, good and trusting, uh, Anteresia. Uh, <laughs> You want to talk about those uh, little pocket Satans at all? Sure can, because I just compiled a big, like, info sheet. Uh, Chad, do you know Chad Gray? I uh, don't believe I do, no. Okay, Chad Gray, he's he's trying to write a book right now on uh, the breeding of all species of pythons, and I'm going to do some contributing along with a lot of other people. So that, that's a cool venture I got going on, too. But uh, as far as Antaresia, I don't know, man. 
I used to read books. Everything I read said they were docile, and I've got like one docile anteresia, and I have probably like forty anteresia. You know, that's that's not a good ratio. You know, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, even out of the egg, I got little guys ripping into me and stuff. I I don't know if it's a food. It can't be a food thing out of the egg. I think they're just I don't know. They're just cranky little guys that are scared of everything. <laughs> A bit of a Napoleon complex, I guess. They do, they do. <laughs> so you, you mentioned you had, uh, you know, the children's, uh, Stimson's and Spotted's, right? Yeah, and children's. Oh, yeah, you said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so have you noticed any differences uh, between the three other than general physical appearance? Uh, not a lot, man. Like, like diet, care, everything's pretty straight up. I think, uh, I don't keep pygmies, but I, I, I'm guessing their care is right in line with the other three. Um, you know, they, they're pretty hardy little snakes. They don't need a lot of humidity to shed at all. Um, you keep them that 90 hot spot and they're going to be golden for you. Uh, I just, they're, they're, they're great eaters you know that, that's the one upside not not always great handlers uh, i tell people you know when when i sell them i try to warn people like this thing's probably gonna bite you you know what i mean and like and usually it does or i'll let it like get me first so they see it's not like bad especially with baby anteresia you know you're there's zero blood involved there um so so once usually they see that, they become a little comfortable. And I just tell them, I say, if you want this animal to be like a calm, nice animal, you're going to have to handle it like a lot. You know, you're going to have to handle it a few times a week at least to, to keep it from gaining that food, that overzealous food response. Um, I have a male children eye that's just crazy. He'll just swing his neck back and forth trying to reach anything he can in front of him, behind him, just wants to eat you alive. <laughs> Fantastic breeder. <laughs> Take the upsides where you can get them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that's not that's not ever been something that's bothered me with snakes at all. You know, I hook train stuff a lot, and I just use hooks usually to get around that. I don't get bit very often, but there's not there's plenty of stuff that's willing to. Yeah, yeah, but uh, one I got from you, she would always hang out in uh, her water bowl, like always, and it was big enough so she had plenty of room to actually move around in it. Just have her head poke out. It's like. I swear to God, she looked exactly like a little brown anaconda inside those things. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you also mentioned you have uh, keep Womas, Woma pythons. I uh, want to talk about uh, care for those things. Uh, Womas, they're they're pretty good. I would say you know it's a, it's a similar care to your Antaresia. You're going to go kind of drier and uh, about the same temperature range. With Wilma's, you're going to need some more space, though. You know, you're going to need, uh, they are mostly like a, you know, a ground snake, terrestrial, fossorial. They'll probably spend a lot of their time in rodent burrows and whatnot. But uh, I find they stay mostly on the ground. You know, you're not going to get a lot of climbing. Uh, Terraform is pretty straight up. They're eating machines. Um, when they're hungry, watch out. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're super overzealous. I've had to catch Wilma's the flown out of like racks with rats in their mouths you know and, and they're just they're just super overzealous sometimes and they try to munch anything i've had a woman try to eat one of my baseball hats but they, they're just this when they're hungry they'll try to eat anything uh but but they're super cool snakes super beautiful i mean like honestly the woman is one of the prettiest pythons to me just that pattern and the way it looks there's something about it 
blackheads too you know they have that similar look only it looks like their head was dipped in a black paint bucket um but yeah super beautiful animals uh cares they're pretty hardy too you know you don't want to go super humid with them or anything you know they're not a rainbow boa uh they'll, they'll get some issues if you do stuff like that but uh yeah you're talking like 60 percent humidity and tops and you know just a good place with some substrate they will use that substrate and come in and out of it a nice hide does them some good good animals yeah so speaking of humidity it's more substrate question but I've been hearing all this uh, talk in the community lately, greater community, about uh, aspen bedding. There seems to be some sort of new controversy about it. Uh, I don't know if you have any opinion on that or not. I don't know. And I haven't really heard much of the debate, but I can tell you that I've been using aspen bedding for like 25 years on snakes. And I mean, as long as it's not like a humidity needing species, um, like i don't see an issue with it i keep all my aussie stuff on aspen or paper usually um, mostly aspen and i don't really have too many issues ever with like a shedding problem or anything like that you start getting into balls and bloods and you know berms and stuff like that yeah that aspen's a little finer a little drier so it's probably going to dry them out around shed time yeah uh you did mention you have a uh, blood pythons which if there is a snake that needs humidity that's Yes, indeed. That's, a thing to me. That's basically a, something that loves living in a dang humid swamp. So, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one key to them, though, especially if you're going to keep them on paper, because a lot of people do because they're messy and it's easy to change. Um, if you know, if you just layer the paper and leave them a couple extra crinkled up papers that are big enough for them to lay under, uh, it creates some humidity just from them breathing under it. And then every once in a while, I'll go through and I'll just take my mister and just hit it with a spritz real quick and it's usually plenty of humidity the shedding time is where you really want to watch that um and obviously you don't want to have the humidity too low or they can get respiratory illnesses but uh most of your standard like plastic caging and stuff nowadays usually holds humidity levels high enough to keep things like that pretty well as long as you're monitoring it here and there uh i wouldn't call like humidity bad is say maybe like a white lip or a brazilian where like if it's a little dry you might kill them um but they they do need their humidity more like a berm you know it's real similar yeah uh, i had a uh, rich crawley on quite a while back actually All that's, right. something, that's something he did mention about uh bloods is how messy they are oh yeah they they make some huge messes um you know they don't defecate but about every three weeks or so after a meal so when it comes out it's big and a lot of urates a lot of urates uh that's something i noticed like in all the pythons like all the pythons don't excrete a ton of urates really for their size you know a lot of calcium uh but yeah with the blood pythons a lot of urates <laughs> uh so speaking of you know once every three weeks uh with these more sedentary species how frequently do you feed them i feed them about the same uh my my bloods are getting a little bigger now so i tend to push to like three four weeks pretty regularly now um everything a lot of things i've read up on them said don't feed them more than every two weeks just because of how they pass i know emeralds are that way i keep an emerald i feed my emerald pretty much on the same schedule as my bloods because you know they can prolapse if you overfeed them and things like that so you don't want that happening that's not good um 
but yeah, the buds, yeah, about, yeah, I feed my adults basically about once a month or, you know, three times every two months, you know, somewhere in there. Yeah. So uh, with the more, slightly more active species, like I said, the carpets and the anchovies, yeah, I'm guessing you feed them on a more close to weekly or biweekly basis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, most of that stuff I feed weekly. And then every once in a while, I'm, I'll give them a week off here and there or something like that. If I feel like they've got some solid weight on them. Um, with adults, you know, like most of my adult snakes are about in every, in every two to two sometimes if they're older you know three like i've got some really old ball pythons and i feed them like every three four weeks you know um adult bradalize that i've got that are 14 15 years old like a large rat every three weeks usually gets it done especially for males um so i just kind of keep an eye on the weight adjust accordingly that, that's something i, I could i i stress i stress to people that want to keep reptiles keep an eye on them look at them you know what i mean yeah. Don't don't put them in a corner and not look at them because that's how you're going to end up with problems or or weight issues or you're not going to notice something that was small that might may become big later you know so yeah keep an eye on them look at them that's what they're there for observe them they're cool <laughs> yeah. um you mentioned uh you know talk about urates with uh, all the pythons I know you've bred uh, all the pythons in the yeah. recent past uh, you want to talk about uh those big bundles of joy uh they're one of my favorite animals to work with bar none i, I think some of the some of the size is, is what it is to an extent but also their intelligence their intelligence just pops them over so many other pythons uh, uh i really like the lasses family it's probably my favorite family of pythons i'm also working on uh brown water pythons right now Fuscus. Um, uh, i picked up a yeah i've got a i've got a female that's a little larger that's a holy tear and then i've got a male that seems so pretty nice so far uh, but he's going to need another year, but hopefully we'll be breeding those soon too. But yeah, like Sabus and Maclots and Olives and Waters are some of my favorite snakes. Um, as far as the Olives, yeah, like their intelligence, like they, they just, like, like I mentioned hook training earlier, their routines are just, they learn routines like so easily and so quick. And they're just so curious about everything. Um, you know, mine, uh, I've, I've read a lot of stuff or, and heard a lot of rumors in the past that they weren't really that great at animals. And I've had some responsive animals or sometimes cage defensive animals, um, shed defensive animals. I really watch what I do with them when they're in shed. They get real blue and they get real milky and sometimes they get a little cranky with you and they'll pop a shot at you outside of the cage or something. But as far as working with them, all I do is like lightly tap them with a hook, you know, and they realize it's not food. And I just go in and pick them up, man. And they're just, you know, the more you work with an olive, like the more a pleasure it is because they're just super smart. And they they just pick up on things that I feel like some of the other species don't quite pick up on. Uh, uh, like I used to feed them. Uh, I do a lot of like cleaning when I feed, which probably a lot of people do, you know, save some yeah. time. Uh, but my olive got to a point when they were younger where I would feed them the frozen thawed rat and they would just... I would put them in a tub after that. And after a few times they would just grab the rat and they would descend right out of the cage into the tub. I mean, they would literally just drop down like into the tub until they felt it. And I just pick the back end up and set it down and close the lid. I mean, it, it was both, it was both of them. Like every time um, they're just very routine oriented. Apparently. I don't know. They're, they're just super curious, smart snakes. I enjoy them a great deal. 
uh, chair's super easy. Um, one year I cooled them down to 72 because I was like, 72 would be plenty enough, right? They were cruising around looking for food, um, which I was found amazing, actually. Um, but so now I now I take them down into like the, the high 60s, 70, you know, somewhere around there. And uh, that's had pretty good luck, except this year. I didn't get a clutch this year, but, you know, she – she had a clutch last year and a very small clutch that survived the year before. So I just, I think maybe she just tapped on me this year. She was like, no, dude, I'm not going for you this year. Give me another year. <laughs> she looked out. everything, but you know, the animal, they know themselves better than we know them. So <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, you talk to someone about all the Python. They'll be like, wait, how's a plain Brown snake pull up being really good looking. It's like, I don't know. They somehow do it. Yeah, they do. They get like a, their iridescence comes off purplish at times, you know, and I think that's what makes them beautiful. That and their their natural micro scales, you know, they have this tiny little scales all through the body that most pythons don't have. Um, and then you get to the head and it's weird because they have these big shields right on top of their head, these big, huge scales. Um, but yeah, they just have a very unique look to them. Um, cool animals, not for everyone. Wouldn't recommend them to a beginner. You know, there's something you want to understand a little bit of python behavior before you go jumping into an olive python, I wouldn't say get your first ball python and then move up to an olive python or something like that. I'd say get yourself a ball python, get yourself a carpet python, maybe get yourself something else and then get an olive python. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so besides spreadles, are there any other uh, types of carpets you keep? Uh, just jungles right now. I'd like to get into some others, especially diamonds. Diamonds are one of my bucket list snakes that I love a ton. Um, I just love the way they look. They're awesome. Uh, but yeah, I've got some decent looking jungle carpets. Um, I haven't been able to breed any yet. I've got an older female that I picked up from Brad McCarthy that I tried to breed this year. Didn't get her to go. We'll try again next year. And I've got a smoking looking small female, but she's so finicky. Uh, she went through a mouse phase. She's going through a bird phase currently. Um, every once in a while, I'll get her to eat a scented rat, but that's uh, that's about the most rat I can get into her usually. Um, but hopefully we'll get her raised. And then I've got a really nice Fudo line male to breed to her. I think she's a, uh, a Mercury by Highlighter IXI. Picked her up from Martin Rosemond a couple years ago. Yeah. Really looking animal, though. Yeah, actually, I, if I remember correctly, I actually got my first snake from uh, Brad's booth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably a lot of people in this area did. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Arianjaya or Pop One carpet. Yeah. So, yeah, I like those a lot. That's something I would like to venture into. You know, yeah, I think so and animals too. One of the so, first animals I ever bred was coastals. I have bred coastals. It's just been like twenty three years since that happened. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I still have that male, you know, I've had him for five years now, but he's like the sweetest snake I've ever ha had. Never strikes at anything other than a mouse. If it smells like a mouse, though, he's going to gonna tackle it. Yeah. Which is kind of weird because the two females, like young females I have are just, they have almost Antaresia-like personalities, so. Yeah. Maclots pythons are one of my favorites too, um, especially the Rhodey Island locale. I, I work with a couple and I work with some Timor Islands and I love the Timors too, but there's something about the adult roadies. They just have a ridiculous iridescence too. And they're just really cool looking animals. Yeah. So here's something you would probably like about then. Uh, actually, one of my 
uh, professors I had in college, had them all the way back in the first episode. Uh, he actually did his PhD research with uh, Liasis uh, speciation in and around the island of Timor. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, Timor pythons—that's something I find quite cool. I find all the rare, weird stuff that most people don't want to buy cool for some reason. But you know, that's <laughs> that's just what I like. You know. Yeah. Uh, I said, you know, I think a lot of this stuff's underrepresented and could make for like really cool captives. And the better we can preserve it in captivity, we all know that stuff is disappearing from this world like real quick, you know. So, so the more we can conserve things like this and preserve them in captivity, the more future generations will be able to see something that maybe not might not even be in its native range anymore, you know. Like, um, I know that all these all these lawmakers and bill makers want to pass this stuff, but it's, it's going to ruin animals forever. Eventually it feels like at this point, you know, if we yeah. keep going, uh, we, we stop like we stop the interstate transport of things here and there, you know what I mean? Like say indigos, for example, or, you know, something like that. How many more indigos would there be available in the hobby or, you know what, or maybe start programs that repopulate, you know, their natural ranges and stuff. I would be glad if somebody from Ohio came and said, hey, we want you to breed like Eastern black racers to repopulate the wild. I'd be like, hell yeah, I'll do that in a heartbeat. You know what I mean? Because you're actually yeah. back, you know, like that's what we're here for. We're on this planet, you know, it's basically our mother. We should give back to it a little bit here and there and in whatever ways we can. Yeah. And I mean, credit to the turtle community from everything I heard, they've actually done a good job of actually synthesizing with conservation. So that's great. But, uh, well, you know, how it is with snakes. Not everybody loves the snakes. <laughs> yeah. They're not as cute. Nope. So, uh, but speaking of pythons, uh, something I have a great love for, but no success with, uh, scrub python, Somalia. Do you have any thoughts on those? Uh, scrub pythons are something that I really like. Um, I think they're beautiful, gorgeous animals. Um, I've only had experiences with a few. They haven't always been fantastic. Um, but, you know, like, I imagine that one day in my life, I will probably end up working with scrub pythons of some kind. Um, I really like the tandem bars, mainly because they're a little dwarfy, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but they're also super hard to find. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're into that stuff. Did you see somebody hatch some tandem bars here in the States recently? I, I think so, yeah. Well, that was a while. I can't remember exactly who. I ended up commenting on the status. I didn't even know anybody was working with them, like, to breed them. I mean, obviously, somebody's out there, but it's rare you see stuff like that. I haven't really seen a tandem bar around in a long time. So, um, yeah, I'd I like to get back in the scrub someday. Soon. I like Guaminas a lot. I think they're really nice looking king horn eyes, you know, like all that stuff. They're all really nice looking animals. Uh, just, you know, you need a lot of space for the scrub ponds. And uh, yeah, that would be a down the road project for me someday, possibly, you know. I mean, not, obviously you can buy them small and you have a few years to get ready for stuff like that. But yeah, that'll that'll probably be more when I can set up something super cool to put scrub pythons in where I don't have to deal with them too much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Minimize the hand on stuff. <laughs> set up something real nice and easy to clean and uh, <laughs> maybe able to block off when you're cleaning in a couple areas if you have to. I've seen some that aren't too bad, you know what I mean? Like uh yeah. 
they just they're just food reactive you know and uh, somebody was asking me about them at the columbus show yesterday and i said well think about it man i said they're they're a they're a 16 foot long tree snake i said how do other tree snakes usually react whether it's asian rats or green tree pythons or emerald trees or amazons they're usually a little reactive from time that's, to time, you know. So that's the perfect description for them, but sixteen foot Amazon tree boa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, these snakes they live up in trees. It's a it's a perilous nature. If something messes with you, you might drop to the floor. So they're probably a little edgy here and there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they are though. They, that's that's what they remind me a little bit of. Um I like to get into some white lips as well. Um there's another snappy species. Bismarck ringed pythons are one of my are one of my bucket list animals. Um, yeah. Python that looks like a South American coral snake almost. Yeah. Uh, man, I remember in the 90s at like the Columbus shows, Bismarck ring pythons were like $55 a piece and the people couldn't give them away. Uh, you know, like uh, the babies were great, but all of them turned muddy brown. And now you got these people that have worked with them enough that there's lines that they retain some of that bronze orange, you know, and yeah. that's a lot nicer. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you mentioned your partner works a lot with uh, Colubra. Does he want to talk about those at all? Oh yeah, sure. We can. We've got some black Kings about to hatch. We've got a clutch of like uh het hypo to het hypo bulls going. Um, we're actually probably going to get out of bull snakes in the near future, mainly because of the cost of food that's, you know, with all the other pythons. And also, um, have you ever kept bull snakes? Uh, I have a pair of young uh, gopher snakes. So. Yeah, have you ever kept like Kribos or Indigos? Just think of them like as messy as like a smaller Indigo or Kribo or something like that. They're, they're quite yeah, Oh, I'm familiar yeah. with a uh, messy pituifus. Yeah, yeah. I used to keep some albino San Diego gophers back in the day, and yeah, they were a little messy too. But the bull snakes, you know, they get some size and they get they start getting pretty messy. Um, they're good animals. We enjoy them greatly, but they're just kind of going to be the odd man out here at this point, unfortunately. Especially if we want to get into some newer caging, get into some other projects and things like that. Um, yeah, they will eat you out of house and home. They're basically like the bearded dragon of the snake world. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like our bull snakes, we could probably feed them like a rat a day and they'd still be, they'd still want food, you know, whereas a lot of snakes, I get that they're opportunistic, but these things would just eat and eat and eat. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've also heard of the debate about, uh, one big food item versus like multiple smaller food items for stuff like a pituifus. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I would say I would probably be more in line with the smaller food items with them. You know, we, we actually had this conversation here to an extent the other day. Um, you know, we do a lot of feeding of like rats for our adults, like medium rats, basically. Um, but I feel like in nature, that's probably not what they're preying on most of the time. You know what I mean? They're yeah. probably rodent. They're raiding rodent nests and bird nests and anything else they can find that's small enough to easily overpower swallow in the five seconds that it takes them and bail out of there you know what i mean uh, the, so uh I, I would say probably honestly in the wild i would say they definitely would probably eat a, a more varied diet of smaller foods than you know a big rodent occasionally yeah but i mean they all come out as turds in the end so they do um we often supplement with like chicks with our bull snakes 
just because you know they're a little lower cost item but you're going to pay the price on the other end too when that all comes out and you it's going to be an even messier cleanup at that point so um but they do a little they don't do real bad with them i'd say it's just a little messier <laughs> i mean with a bull snake how much messier is messier so yeah exactly yeah uh, that's something i noticed um i never really kept a lot of colubrids i kept um I kept like a cow king for a little while, a few years back in the day. Um, but I've mostly always been a python boa guy. Um, but uh, when she got into the colubrids, man, I wasn't used to like the stool, man. Like it's a whole different world than keeping pythons. Pythons crap, and it's basically like a dog or one of us or something like that with some extra calcium involved in there, you know. But man, these these freaking honder and milk snakes and bull snakes, man, when they go to the bathroom, watch out. It's just, it's smelly and messy and. <laughs> Looks like the bathroom scene from Daddy Daycare. I had to clean out a Honduran's enclosure at a show one day. And a good friend of mine has known me for like 30 years was next to me. I said, man, I had to clean out a Honduran. I almost threw up earlier. He's like, you almost threw up. He's like, that must've been bad. <laughs> so uh, are there any particular projects you're hoping to get into in the future? Other than the ones uh, we talked about? Uh, hypo stone wash bread alive would be one of my like main focuses right now to complete out my, my bread alive. Um, I've already got hypo, I've already got stripes. Uh, I need the stone wash in there. Um, blackhead pythons are something that's on my list. And as a pure passion project, I'm looking into getting into some, um, Jamaican boas. I would really love to work with some Jamaican boas and breed Jamaican boas. I know it's not really much of a market. I don't really care much about that. You know, I just want to, I, I just think they're amazing looking animals. They're probably my favorite boa looks wise. Um, I'd love to just have some and breed them and, you know, like donate them to, to people that want to keep them alive in captivity or whatever, you know, like I think it's a cool little program and something that gives back to the future a little bit. Um, but yeah, super cool animals. Uh, when it comes to boas, I'm into the weird stuff too. Same thing. I like yeah. all of island boas and rainbows and you know rosies and candoyas and all that kind of stuff i'm big into all that stuff yeah let's see here uh do you have any advice for anyone who's looking at getting into keeping snakes especially australian pythons especially australian pythons have patience patience is going to be your biggest key with australian pythons I've heard so many people over the years talk about how nasty this species or that species or this species is, and most of them are not. If you if you learn your python behavior, if you use your tools, if you you know if you if you're doing the right things with them, you're feeding them the right ways, things like that, um, you're not going to have big issues out of them once they become an adult. Just teach them when they're young. Try to avoid their snappiness. Try to blow it off. Um, um, try to end, if you're going to handle them and, and you got a bitey animal or something, try to end all your sessions on a positive note. Don't let it bite you four times and then put it right back down. You're just, you're just basically approving its behavior there. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing is just be patient. Uh, I would say that could be said for most Python genus uh, overall. Um, not everything is as calm as a ball python out of the gate. And even little ball pythons aren't all that calm most of the time. Um, 
So just give it some patience. Once it gets some size and some confidence where it doesn't feel like it's going to be eaten by everything that could possibly be in its natural environment that it's programmed for, um, it'll start to calm down. Um, not every single snake. There are, there are individuals, you know, just like there's individual people and things like that. But yeah, just give it some patience, man, because like if you do, it'll become a super rewarding captive that you can do all the same things with that you can a ball python pretty much. You know, it's just it just takes some time and some patience. Yeah. But uh, you mentioned with ball pythons, you know, morph chasing. Um, I'm just going to say something and it might be heresy, but <laughs> some, of, some heresy. of these most popular morphs, I don't really think are that good looking. No. In my opinion. No. I don't, I don't understand the piebald craze at all. Yeah. See, the piebald is the one I actually do like a little bit. But most of them, I just feel like they're, they end up as just tan snakes anyway. Yeah. You know? And then we're getting so many genes in them now that, like, you don't even know what you're buying anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard, it's hard telling what you're going to get out of that. And, like, not everybody's going to be able to identify every gene in like a five, six, seven, eight gene animal. You know, it's just, it's getting a little bit wild now, you know, like I applaud to those guys that do it and are successful at it, you know, and like ball pythons have been a very important part of this hobby. I will not downplay that, but on the, on the downside of that ball pythons, crested geckos, certain other species have basically taken all the other species out of our hobby now for the most part. And, uh, that's a shame, really. That really is a shame because there's there's millions of these things out here, and especially something like retics or something. There's not millions of people that are equipped to deal with an adult retic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not just talking about keeper wise. I'm talking about caging requirements too. You know, I mean, yeah. most people think they're going to grab a retic and throw it in a four by four by two by twelve, or you know, most of it's like it's never going to work, man. <laughs> not unless it's a super dwarf male or something like that. You know, a Kalatoa. <laughs> like yeah but yeah it's just i think a lot of people a lot of people's uh eyes are bigger than their stomachs in the reptile world you know they see something they think it'd be super cool to own it and you know do your research out there and make sure it's really right for you you know if you live in a studio apartment retic probably a bad choice you probably want to go with anteracea or a carpet python or something like that that's a little smaller you know um you know if you have a a lot of land and you you got the money to build something awesome you know and you just love retics then yeah that's for you you know what i mean that's how yeah. i feel stuff like that um but uh with piebalds it does like no other genes with it it's just a wild type with big white blobs on it yeah it is sorry but when it curls up it just looks like something a bird leaves on your windshield but <laughs> yeah i could see that i could see that yeah um, I, I think it's just such a striking thing for people when they see it a lot of times. That's what it is. But yeah, as far as the other morphs, I mean, I, I was reading like pinstripes and pastels and cinnamons and lessers and all this stuff. And they all, they all just basically look like a different shade of tan. You know what I mean? I remember like seeing the super stripes come out and like seeing a baby and I was like, oh, that thing looks pretty cool. And then I remember seeing somebody selling an adult at a show and I was like, that's an adult super stripe. I was like, no, thanks. I'll just go ahead and uh, <laughs> pass on that for now. Um, just a, a lot of stuff like that with the balls and you know, that's what people don't understand. Like a lot of, some of them keep some color, don't get me wrong, but but nothing's ever going to be as contrasting as a bright yellow and black jungle carpet or, you know, nothing's ever going to have the colors of a diamond python or, you know, 
or like say um an amazon a colored amazon tree bow or an emerald or a green tree like those things just have strong vibrant striking colors and whereas a lot of young ball pythons do have strong striking vibrant colors most adults do not um that's that's the sad reality of it your morph is probably not going to look better with age yeah yeah uh is there anything else you want to talk about oh that's up to you if you got more questions i'll answer them <laughs> i mean but yeah talk about diamonds i do have a adult female diamond do you and, yeah you know, she's big she's big <laughs> but uh i i have a friend andy yeah you might know him andy vick sounds familiar man usually sounds... at the service and salamanders booth oh okay yeah 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 yep yeah he's a, a pair of young adult uh, diamonds and i was like this past winter i was like hey maybe, maybe i could uh send my female over to you since you have a male see what happens it's like okay and i get there and we see looked up looked in and saw what his uh pair looked like and it's like oh yours are much more brightly colored but they're also a lot younger noticeably a lot smaller like <laughs> half the size so he told uh, me it was like one time he told me that one time i tried putting her in and she just hadn't hadn't did not want to have anything to do with the male whatsoever and uh physically let him know very well so. oh yeah <laughs> yeah i haven't had the chance to work with them I, uh like ron hatcher i don't know if you know him but i set up next to him somewhat frequently i'm always trying to like get him to let go of his diamonds to me i'm like you ready to get rid of those diamonds yet ron you ready to let go of this and he's like nope nope not doing it <laughs> and i had a guy um he built me some cages uh he offered me a pair of diamonds a little while back and you know like of course i'm there picking up cages and already like forking out some money to him like i don't have anybody to buy those right now and i wished i would have and i think he ended up selling them to somebody else but i think he wanted like two grand for the pair i mean they were pure diamonds and uh, i was reasonable you know but you know i just forked a little bit of money for some caging so i couldn't quite afford it at the time <laughs> yeah two thousand for a pure pair that sounds just about market price yep yeah i'm seeing morph market they're asking 12 a lot nowadays somewhere around there uh, but yeah keep it up with that diamond you gotta get your mail someday but I'm, i don't know if i have the cage for i mean probably just gonna wait till andy gets a little bit bigger and a little less likely to get uh, yeah. bullied before I try it that again. Very beautiful animals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After this conversation, I'm going to probably go on Morph Market and just stare at stuff I can't afford for a little while. <laughs> I do that sometimes. And every, once, every once in a while, it catches me up and I'll actually have a little bit of money and I'll be like, oh, I need that. Um, <laughs> just look at Morph Market going like, how much are lottery tickets again? The last thing I bought off there was uh, my my male Fuscus. I bought it from uh, William Philippec, TJW Exotics. Super clean animal, super awesome animal, uh, super easy to work with. Uh, yeah, I know he's got a lot of uh, inland reptile line stuff, kind of like, you know, I've got a few inland reptile line things myself. Um, but uh, yeah, super good guy, breeds a lot of weird stuff, weird pythons like I do, you know. he's He's got all kinds of stuff. He's even got like Sri Lankan pythons and... Yeah, he likes it all. Um, I did hear that like banded pygmies were in the country now, like the banded form of the anthill. Have you seen those? 
I just remember seeing on Morph Market just for the longest time a pair of anthills for sale. Yeah, these are, these are a little different. They're the banded pygmies, which uh, I think is, I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. I feel like it's a subspecies or something, but they're a lot more contrasting than your standard pygmies. They have like black banding around them. <laughs> they're uh, pretty cool looking animals. Yeah. So, uh, final question. Uh, what is your favorite uh, reptile, both that you currently have and just all time? Ooh, favorite reptile that I currently have is probably my Rhode Island Maclots Python. Um, but my favorite reptile of all time will probably come as a bit of a surprise because it's a Gila monster. <laughs> and that's and I do not I do not have one. Um, that's something that I would love to have one day. But I am planning to move to New Mexico one day where I cannot own Gila monsters. So I might just have to settle for beaded lizards or something at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do need to get the Heloderma someday. Yeah, I think they're really cool animals. They're kind of like little mini monitors with some venom, you know. <laughs> and a bit slower metabolism. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Monitors are, are something I enjoy greatly, too. Um I don't own one currently, but I've owned several over the years. So just, I think they're super intelligent, awesome wizards, except I hate Niles. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I sure has. Right, well, I uh, guess I'll see you next time at the Columbus show. Yeah, it sounds great, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm always happy to like spread information about these awesome animals. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Bye.